Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters on this wonderful April day. We get to gather here today to discuss that very word of God, which we hear from the Holy Scriptures and which we get to say along with Scripture we do that by using the Book of Concord, especially today the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, as we make a defense for what it is that we believe, teach, and confess. Especially today we get to talk about repentance and the scriptural proofs that talk about what it is that we understand and believe about repentance. Who are you? I, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. Um, I am... Um, <laughs> Today, I am sitting in uh, as host. I am Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Uh, with us in the studio today, our uh, today's version of the Compliment of Christ Confessing Concordians is Pastor Merritt Dembski from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois, and Peter Slayton, the social media director of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And we're I got promoted glad to have again. Both of you. Wait, <laughs> woo! Wait, I love it. I'm a manager. I'm not a director. Uh, sorry, so manager. Okay. I, that probably means something, but I'm afraid I'm just a pastor, so I don't know what it means. Uh, but that's okay. So it is wonderful to be here with uh, Peter Slayton, the manager of social media <laughs> at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That's why we stick to scripture. It, exactly. <laughs> uh, with that said, if you would like to participate in our session today in our study on repentance, you can get a hold of us by calling 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or you can reach us uh, at Twitter at KFUO AM. Yeah, at KFUOAM, or you can reach out. Uh, KFUO Radio. Yeah, it's at, at KFUO, KFUO Radio. Radio. I'm so sorry. Which we're trying to figure out how to actually monitor that one, because none of us have access to the actual account. We'll get it so, figured out here know, in a minute. If um, you tag us, then then we'll see it. Sure. And if you you can also reach us by sending us an email uh, at KFUO at KFUO.org. So, with all that said, we get to jump in and get started. We are reading in Article 12a of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and we are picking up at paragraph number 44. These are the scriptural proofs of why we believe what we believe. We've been talking in the weeks previous about what it is that we believe about repentance. Now we get to talk about, well, where does the Bible say this, which is a really good way uh, the confessors, especially Philip Melanchthon, had given a summary of what we believe. Now we will see it borne out in Scripture. Uh, is there anything you gentlemen would like to add in our conversation before we get started? Well, okay. <laughs> we both took a breath at the same time. Who's going to talk? Um, I, I, wanna, I appreciate this section that we're about to come into um, because it is always good to see, okay, where do we actually see this in Scripture? And uh, something that I have cautioned myself with as as I'm reading through, okay, here's this section, here's the scriptural proofs. If you notice, they basically take one verse here, one verse there, and uh, 
I kind of proof text how their approach and the advantage that Melanchthon has that I don't have is he has a much larger, broader, uh, and deeper view of scripture than I do. Uh, this is a guy who knows scripture really, really, really well. Now, the same is true for Luther, uh, Chemnitz, who has written later parts of the of the Book of Concord. The authors, I always have to remind myself, these guys really, really know scripture. So when they pick a proof text, they're not picking it as if this verse is all we need, and that's the be-all and end-all, this is the answer. They're actually... In, Putting it as like, look, here's the starting point. This one says it's the main meat of what we're actually saying. But I have to remind myself, okay, but I don't stop there because I don't actually have the knowledge that they do. And so um, it's wonderful to see this, but I also have to remember this is a summary. It's not everything. <laughs> and so yeah, like, keep that in mind. I'm not as smart as Melanchthon as I'm as we're going through this. Well, and I've, I've heard it pointed out too that sometimes you get the one verse that's quoted but it's with the assumption that you're going to read the rest of it that it's like uh, like you said this is the summary here's the one main point of it but it's the assumption that you're reading this whole thing in context and uh that super important word context that uh i was just watching something the other day talking about uh passages that are commonly misused and you see people that would have the beginning of the verse and then dot 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 it's like, well, what's the dot, dot, dot? What's the, what's and then the you rest look at the rest it? and you're like, oh, wow, that means it does not exactly say at all what this person's saying <laughs> that it's saying. You know? So, you know, you see uh, one of the verses we'll hit immediately is Matthew eleven twenty eight, and you can see the rest of the context in which it's in, that it's not pulled out of context. It's this verse is applicable right here for what it's talking about. There's a lot that we can learn about how it is that the confessors and other Christians who have come before us live immersed in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. They spend just a lot more time in Holy Scripture than, than we do. And I say that much to my own shame. So uh, it's almost like their Facebook, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. spending our time on Facebook instead. Is that what you mean? Mary? Well, like I, people, people are so well versed in memes and movie quotes like they could quote ooh, scripture. He's talking like, about me now. I was that's, actually talking me. about me. So Okay, oh, well, hey, the law hits us all. Yeah? It does indeed. <laughs> it cuts deep. Uh, but they were immersed in Scripture, and so when they speak, they will use just a portion to stand in for the, for the whole thing and for that whole passage. And that is a wonderful thing. But for us as 21st century readers and confessors of, of this same thing, it makes it a little bit more challenging for us. And so... Uh, if you're reading along at home, always feel free to go ahead and just take a take a little bit of a pause and follow up on the context of these scripture passages as we go along, because there will be good and important context there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not even just that we need to. It's that they are. I'm trying to remember what you were saying exactly, Merit, but it's also that they are assuming the context as they write it. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that. They're assuming we're going to go read it. They're also assuming that context and just kind of boiling it down and summarizing it. Mm -hmm. So we need to do the hard work of not assuming and going back and, okay, how do we actually see this working out in Scripture? Well, so. And if I'm not mistaken, there's some of it where in the, the updated translations we get the additional verse and chapter numbers versus just saying, as we hear the Lord say in Matthew and you know, with the quote that you kind of have ah. to, isn't that the case or is it kind of? Uh, right. What you're talking about is how in uh, some of the earlier editions of the Book of Concord mm -hmm. and of earlier translations of Martin Luther, they didn't have verse numbers yet. 
verse right. numbers didn't come around until about 1611. Mm -hmm. And so in the book of Concord, they will say, as it says in Romans chapter 3, but they don't give a verse number because verses weren't numbered yet. Editors right. hadn't put that in yeah, yet. Yeah, ed editors hadn't added verse numbers yet. And so they simply allude to, like it says, and they would quote a portion of the chapter and then go on. Now we can see exactly where in the chapter they are, but then we can also read around that a little bit. Is that yeah. why some of these scripture references are in parentheses as we're reading? Yes. Because that was actually added by our own English editors at some point to indicate, you know, so the original text just had, here's the quote, and that was it. Exactly. Okay, so talking about assuming the context, holy cow, that's even a bigger leap for them where they're like, okay, we're going to quote this, and we're going to assume because all of you know scripture as well as we do, that you even know where we're getting that from and mm. the context and how it actually fits. Well, I, I even, well, that's a whole other deeper level than what we were talking well, about. Well, and I, that's what I do like when I'm when I'm quoting uh, stuff in in uh, in things that I'll post online for the congregation. Um, I, I might say here this exact verse, but if I do the link, I'll link it to the whole chapter or to mm. the applicable sections. So it's not just linking to that one verse, but encouraging that context. Go ahead. And this is in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, written primarily for the people that they were dialoguing with in the Roman Catholic Church, their opponents, or for other reformers. They were, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession is for theologians. And when they have that assumption that you know scripture as well as we do, they were right that mm -hmm. these are all people who are very conversant in the way that the Bible talks. So that's not a that's not a big leap. You will notice that say when you get to the large catechism and the small catechism, it's a lot more buttoned down in where in scripture you find things. You don't find uh, quotes that say like the Bible says where then the English editor goes back and tells you where in the Bible it says it. Uh, in the large in the small catechism it'll talk about it's like our Lord it's like St Paul says in Titus chapter 3 and then it goes ahead and quotes several verses of Titus chapter 3, for example. Sure. So, with that said, let's go ahead and jump in at, at paragraph 44 of Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 12a. If you are using the second edition of the reader's version of the Book of Concord, that is going to be on page 163. Because the confutation condemns us for having assigned these two parts to repentance... We must show that Scripture expresses these as the chief parts in repentance or conversion. Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Here, there are two parts. The labor and the burden signify the contrition, anxiety, and terrors of sin and death. To come to Christ is to believe that sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. When we believe, our hearts are brought to life by the Holy Spirit through Christ's word. Here, therefore, are these two chief parts, contrition and faith. In Mark 1.15, Christ says, Repent and believe in the gospel. In the first clause, he convicts of sins, and in the second, he comforts us and shows the forgiveness of sins. Believing the gospel is not the general faith that devils also have, but in the proper sense it is believing that the forgiveness of sins has been granted for Christ's sake. This is revealed in the gospel. You also see here that these two, that the two parts are joined. Contrition, when sins are rebuked, and faith, when it is said, believe in the gospel. If anyone should say here that Christ also includes the fruit of repentance or the entire new life, we shall not disagree 
For this satisfies us, that contrition and faith are named as the chief parts. So, here in this section of the Book of Concord, and in the Apology, it's talking about how confession has two parts. First, contrition over our sins, and second, faith that believes that promise. How is that contrition and faith linked with law and gospel? Well, I know uh, I had made a note, because not too long ago I started re-reading through Walther's Long Gospel, just getting re-familiarized, and there was a quote in there that he talks about people looking at faith as a work, like, oh, you gotta, you gotta go do faith, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like, well, no, it's a gift from God, you know, <laughs> and he uses the example kind of connected to this of uh, if you walk into someone's house and they say, oh, please have a seat. You're not going to be like, how dare you tell me to do work? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's this invitation to have rest. Yeah. To like, you know, so when Christ says, come to me, all who, all you who labor and are heavy laden, it's this beautiful gift of saying, lay your stuff down here, you know, and it's, it's in this invitation um, of his grace to us, uh, not something that's a, uh, okay, now I got to do more. Now I got to go lay stuff down. Now I got to, you know, like that kind of thing. I, th I think the law is also there for the individual who says, what? I'm not burdened. I don't have anything to lay down. How dare you? You know, yeah. that, that heart can be hardened even to that, uh, you know, <laughs> invitation, mm -hmm. as you were putting it. Yeah. yeah. And when we hear Jesus say, come to me, a lot of times the default answer is, but I'm not broken. I'm not that weighed down. I don't, yeah. I don't need that much help. Um, but Christ doesn't say uh, when he doesn't say if you feel he simply says you are heavy laden you are burdened come to me and I will relieve you this is one of the things that uh, John Bunyan in the book Pilgrim's Progress really does well he uh, portrays Christian who's carrying around this this uh, sack on his back full of uh, full of this heavy weight that is finally released from him um, at the foot of the cross. And that is exactly how it goes. Uh, and so this invitation of come to me assumes that you are heavy laden. It assumes that Jesus is talking to sinners. It works out really well because he is. Um, <laughs> and so Jesus comes to sinners and says, you are heavy laden. You are burdened. Relax. Be at peace because I am with you and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he invites you to believe, and there is the gospel. And yet it's, it's, I can think of so many times when our default is to just want to justify why it's not as bad. We talk about hard heart and all that kind of stuff, but um, I've talked to so many people who, uh, they, they grew up with a lot of works righteousness kind of thing, haven't really gotten to hear the gospel in its, in its pureness and its beauty, and what they'll do is instead of saying, yeah, I am a poor, miserable sinner, instead it'll be, well, it wasn't that bad because of this reason or that reason. And so they don't realize the burden that's on their back. And so then when you read scripture, you end up downplaying everything. And mm. it's, you know, maybe Jesus didn't mean he hates sin. You know, it doesn't there mean that Jesus hates. There were extenuating circumstances. Yeah, God would understand. Couldn't help if, it. Yeah, exactly. Versus hearing, no, I am a poor, miserable sinner. I deserve death i deserve hell you know but christ has told me to lay my burdens here because he has taken them upon the cross mm. and uh when we get to hear that message it's it's so beautiful which then just breaks our heart that much more when people don't get to hear that message yeah. 
And what about that part near the end of the section that we read about adding the fruits of repentance? Uh, where is that coming from, and why do we need to continue to talk about that in the church today? Well, it's the second time they've brought that up, which is interesting, because that came up um, last week as we began. I don't know if it was beginning to, well, whenever we were talking about it. Um, they've brought that up again where, you know, as long as we're having the contrition and faith as the chief parts, the life of the Christian being different we're okay with that being in there. Um, the, I think it's good for us in our in our contemporary context to uh, to continue to remember that, partly because of what you're saying, um, Merit. There that <clears throat> we tend to justify ourselves, and and putting this back in and saying, look, no, 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 there there is a place for the life of the Christian to look different when they have repented continues to kind of chip away at that self-justification a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not really my fault. You know, there there were extenuating circumstances, but in in the repentance, if you also say, well, okay, it should look different, makes it a little bit harder for me to continue to justify whatever sin it is that I'm that I'm trying to justify. Well, and I remember a, a friend of mine making the kind of pushing back on the the idea that uh the church is a hospital for the spiritually sick. Like, absolutely, we all go, we, we receive that beautiful medicine, that life-giving Christ's body and blood through faith. But uh, his point was so oftentimes the emphasis there is, well, see, we can we continue to sin and we sin all the time. And so that's not a big problem to sin all the time because we're all sinners. It's like, no, it's not how it's supposed to be. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to continue. Yes, we are sick. We, we need Christ because we, uh, apart from him, we are spiritually dead. That's all that we have. And yet uh, we have the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we have God's good gifts so that we can live a different life and have those fruits of repentance in our life Um and yet we don't look at those for our peace and our comfort. Cause I hear people go that route too, of like, yeah. well, I definitely know I'm a Christian because I've done good things today. It's like, that's eh, not how you know you're a Christian. Or, or look how different I am now. You know, yeah. I used to be really bad and Ooh, look, I'm better now. So I've, I've got to be a Christian. Yeah. Let's yeah. look at Christ's promise rather than what your yeah. acts are. Cause what about that day when you don't live that nicely? And then Oops. you're wondering, yeah. <laughs> and this is why Melanchthon and the other confessors doggedly maintain Confession has two parts, contrition and faith. No, I think uh, you mean repentance. You sorry. said confession twice now. Sorry, oops. <laughs> yes, repentance and we faith. We know what you meant, though. I'm Thank just, just going to help clarify. Eighth Thank commandment. Good. Eighth commandment. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, so there is repentance and faith. Thank you. And... Repentance has two parts. Repentance has two parts. This is what happens when we get on the same article for too long. All the words just jumble together. It happens. (laughs) Anyway, two parts, contrition and faith. And in that uh, contrition and faith, there isn't a third part of being able to take comfort in the way that you live your life as a Christian. You merely live your life as a Christian in faith in Christ. Your works aren't any sort of a comfort for you. You simply do them because you are a Christian. But that's not your your source of strength, hope, and comfort. Your strength, your hope, and your comfort come from Jesus. That's an excellent point that I hadn't thought about because putting it in the realm of where do we look for our comfort, we also don't look for our comfort in our own contrition and faith. 
So why would we say this third part, which, you know, the confessors will say, look, we're not going to argue if you want to put that third part in there. That's great. If you want to include that, as long as the chief parts are contrition and faith, either way, we're not looking for comfort in any of those three. We are still looking at Jesus and his promise. And that's where our actual comfort lies. It's not in our own contrition and the sincerity of our contrition. It's not in our own faith and the strength of our faith and our ability to faith that thing or however you phrase it. (laughs) And it's not in our, wow, look, I'm different. I have got fruit. Look at that. No, we're not looking at any of those for our comfort. If, If we're making any of those the thing upon which we hang our comfort, well, okay, now we've... We got to go back to Article Four because we've messed it up again. But the wretched man that I am is so quick to twist it around yeah. and to put faith in my faith instead of to put my faith in Jesus. The the fancy word, if you're interested in fancy words today <laughs> for that, <clears throat> is fideism. Uh, fideism is, that a is Latin bu- one? it is a Latinism Excellent. from the word fide, which means faith or faithful. And when you put your faith in your faith, it is fideism, believing in your faith instead of believing in Jesus. And so, anytime you would say, uh, "Well, I know that I'm saved because I'm a believer," it's kind of a circular argument there. But I know that I'm saved because I'm a believer. Well, a believer in what? So it sounds like you're saying that when people say. As long as you believe in something, then that's the best thing. It almost sounds like that's not how we should be thinking. That's exactly not how we oh, should be okay. thinking. Exactly. So, so when people say, oh, man, you just got to have faith, we should re- usually be asking the in In whom. whom. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, in what to get them thinking about there's something more <laughs> to faith than just faith. Yeah. faith. Faith always has an object. It's always directed to something or someone. Yeah. And so you have faith in something. You believe in something. What is it that you believe in? If you believe in your own faith, if you believe in your works, if you believe in your Christian progress, that's not what Scripture calls us to. And scripture yet, calls us to faith in Christ. And yet you hear that so much. You've got to just believe in yourself. Yeah. You've just got to believe in yourself and you can do it. I, yeah. So, so think, I don't know. Let, let me see if we can, if we're allowed to phrase it this way in terms of the object. So I don't know if contrition can have an object, but if it did, the object would be God in the sense that I am agreeing with God that this thing I did was wrong. And I'm agreeing with God that I don't want to do this anymore. This is a very bad thing. I know we talked about that last time. And then the object of faith in this second part of repentance is Christ and his promise and his work for us. And so both of those we're looking not internally at ourselves, but when the first one we're looking at God and his law saying, that was bad. Yes, I agree, God. That was horrible. I don't want to do that again. I should stop doing that again. And then in the second part, we're looking at faith. The object of our faith is Christ. We're looking at him and saying, ah, but I am forgiven because of him. So for this third part that maybe we can add in, that it's fruits of repentance, where's the object in that? If if this framework even works. <laughs> I'm kind of going on a limb here. It, it, yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Terrible radio. Uh, It's what I bring to this party. But we we get to talk about how you're exactly right. That contrition looks at our sin. Faith looks at Jesus. 
I think that you can make the argument that if you look at the fruit of repentance and the fruit of your faith, that you are looking at the new man whom Christ has raised up in you. But there is always a temptation for us broken sinners to turn that around into kind of a a fruit checking and making our value based on what we have done and not on what Christ has done for us. Yeah, how do we make the fruits of repentance about Christ working in us and through us so that he is our object? And how do we then conceptually think about that and process that? Maybe that's my question because I can do it with contrition. I can do it with faith. And if I'm going to make sure that my works are being looked at in the right way, well, they have to be about Jesus, too, because we're Lutherans, and that's what we do. Everything's about Christ. So how do I make them about Christ? And that's going to be something that we get to talk about on the other side of the break. Uh, I am Pastor Peter Ill. With us today are Pastor Merritt Dembski and Mr. Peter Slayton, and we are discussing repentance from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Keep confessing, church. We'll be right back. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie God's Not Dead, A Light in the Darkness from Pastor Ted Geese. Pastor Tom Baker will lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Abraham's visitors from heaven, and we'll discuss piety versus pietism with Dr. Russell Dawn. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Isaac Watts was a gifted writer of poetry who published his hymns at a time in 18th century England when congregations of the Church of England sang only psalms. On which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Watts loved the Psalms, but he said they ought to be translated in such a manner as we have reason to believe David would have composed them. 
He reinterpreted the Psalms in the language of the New Testament. The writer of more than 750 hymns, Isaac Watts has certainly earned the title the father of English hymnody. And in 1707, he published one of his most popular based on Galatians 6, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters, because indeed, Concord matters to Jesus, and it matters here in his church. I am Pastor Peter Ill, sitting in for our regular host, Pastor Sean Smith. Uh, Pastor Smith can't be with us today. He is serving as a pastor. He had something come up in his parish and needs to provide that law and gospel uh, for his members, and we're really glad that he's there. Uh, in his absence, though, we will continue to get along uh, and I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, also, do with we us normally today. fight when he is here, or we don't? We're, we're going to get along now. No, than sorry. We didn't before I wanted to say I was going to limp along and try to just get get oh. through the rest of the show. <laughs> we'll we'll do so Meredith fraternally. Just staring though. at you now, like yeah. I don't know what's going. Poor on. Pastor Demsky is over here going. Who is this guy, man? But it is important to mention though that you know Pastor Smith is being a pastor, and that's even more important than being on the radio talking with you guys and so we we are glad that he is prioritizing things rightly and and caring for his sheep and his flock uh, instead of you know trying to make things work so that he can just be here Merritt Merritt had to be with his family last week he mm -hmm. had some sick children I believe and mm -hmm. so it's it's always good to prioritize properly Indeed. Yeah. Also in the studio today is our uh, Pastor Merritt Dembski from Emmanuel Waterloo and Peter Slayton, the manager of social media for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, and we get to go on in Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 12a, picking up at paragraph 46. If you are in the second edition of the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, that is on page 163. Which we just noticed Merritt has a first edition. He so does. what page are you on, Merritt? Because we there are I'm on 189. 189. But I'd heard that there was like another edition that wasn't officially the second edition, so I was like, I don't know. I don't know about so, that. Huh? <laughs> so You'll have to ask somebody smarter than me. Now I gotta go get a new one so I can be on the same page and have a cool one like you guys. If we go to like the pocket version, is that that's probably got even different pages? That does there. have different so, pages yeah. because I have used that one in the past. But uh, anyway, let's pick up at paragraph forty-six. All right, I will go ahead and start reading there. When Paul describes conversion or renewal, he almost everywhere designates these two parts: making dead and making alive, as in Colossians two eleven. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, namely. By putting off the body of the flesh, and afterwards, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. 2.12 Here are the two parts. One is putting off the body of sins, the other is the rising again through faith. Neither should these terms, making dead, making alive, putting off the body of sins, rising again, be understood in a platonic way about a fake change. Hold on just a yeah, second. Yeah, I was going to say, is fake actually a good translation of that philosophical term? I don't know. I don't know, but let's first talk about that platonic distinction. What is what is Melanchthon talking about as he's talking about that platonic distinction? Um, 
I would say probably the easiest is just what many people talk about, that there is this change, but it's nothing that you can like physically, it's nothing real. It's just this abstract out there ideal that, that, that exists somewhere, but it's not something that actually affects you versus we say, no, there really is. You were dead in sin and now you are made alive. There is something really happening here versus just something out there. Plato is all about the ideal. He's all about the the kind of hypothetical, the best way that things could be. And so he's always got an eye towards what what could be the best. But the this, true reality the, out the there, the true reality the out there that, that you might not experience. Yeah. And so he's going to see a big difference between what you can see in your mind and in what you can experience with your body. And he has a separation between body and mind in that way. Here, he says, your real life is kind of a hypothetical, idealized thing, and the life that you experience isn't up to its full potential. And so, Melanchthon points out, no, 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 in Christ, you actually have your idealized, your very best life, and it is given to you, and you are experiencing it, and that's exactly how it goes. We are not quoting Joel Osteen right now. Just, I did not. Just, I was I, trying we to... all started smiling. It's like, oh, he's that's all. That sounds like Joel Osteen, but it's not. But notice, yeah. notice, it eternal is life in is Christ. Yours now. You yeah. have this promise of your best life. It isn't because of of what you say to yourself or anything else, but rather it is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh, suffered and died and rose, and in His suffering, death, and resurrection, He brings forth a new creation and gives you new life regenerated reborn renewed and that is the life that we have as our ideal and it's not hypothetical at all it is real and true for you maybe a hypothetical change would be a better translation of fake i don't know (laughs) i'm just thrown off by fake that seems a little anachronistic to describe plato because he would not talk using that kind of a term anyways Shall I continue? Yes, please. Okay. Excuse me. Rather, making dead means true terrors, such as those of the dying, which nature could not sustain unless it were supported by faith. Paul calls that the putting off the body of sins, which we ordinarily call contrition. In these griefs, the natural, lustful desire is purged away. The making alive should not be understood as a platonic fancy, but as comfort that truly sustains life that flickers in contrition. Here, therefore, are two parts, contrition and faith. For conscience cannot be quieted except through faith. Therefore, faith alone makes alive. According to this declaration, the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 and Romans 1.17. And as we're going through this passage, we end up talking a lot about being dead and being alive. There is nothing that somebody who is dead can do to bring themselves back to life. Uh, It reminds me, you'll have to forgive me, but it reminds me of the Monty Python sketch. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I think I'll go for a walk. (laughs) Right. Well, there's our show title. I'm I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well, and I, the other day, I I love when I see this kind of thing, just bringing out this point. Uh, It was a picture of a, of a, like a, fake skeleton thing laying on the ground. It's like, this is dead Bob. He's going to 
come to life in faith any second. Let's watch. Any second he's going to yeah. choose to follow Jesus. Exactly. Just watch, Bob. Yeah. All right, let's go, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. You know, Bob. Like, you would. Come on. Like, but but this point. Play of, the chorus again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and this is where not only does this article talk about repentance, but it also talks about our conversion and our coming to the Christian life. There is nothing that we can do to bring ourselves to faith. It is Jesus who comes to us and who makes it clear, you are mine. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. I have given you rest, and Jesus has brought it to you. Jesus recognizes your brokenness, and he fixes it for you without you even being aware of how bad things are. You don't know that you're dead, and Jesus has come to make you alive. I think the Monty Python quote actually does does work pretty well, because the, the person who doesn't have contrition is the person saying, I'm not dead yet. Come on. Come on. I'm feeling better. I think I'll go for a walk. Like that person does not have contrition. The the one who is truly contrite recognizes, oh man, I really am dead. I can't fix this. This is, yep, I'm stuck. This is bad. I can't do anything about this. I am dead. Mm-hmm. That that's contrition. It is, yeah. and the only place where can contrition can go is to faith in Christ. And so those are our two parts. Or as we talked about last week, if you're Judas, despair. Or if you're Saul, uh-uh, I don't care. I'm just doing going my own way. So for repentance, yes. <laughs> I'm not intending to disagree that, yeah, mm-hmm. contrition needs to go to faith if we're going to have repentance. When it doesn't go towards faith, that's when it gets really, really scary. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Let's go on, picking up at paragraph 48. Colossians 2.14 says, Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Here also there are two parts, the handwriting and the blotting out of the handwriting. The handwriting, however, is conscience convicting and condemning us. The law, furthermore, is the word that rebukes and condemns sins. Therefore, the voice that says, I have sinned against the Lord, as David says in 2 Samuel 12.13, is the handwriting. Wicked and secure people do not seriously give forth this voice, for they do not see. They do not read the sentence of the law written in their heart. This sentence is perceived in true griefs and terrors. Therefore, the handwriting that condemns us is contrition itself. To blot out the handwriting is to chisel away the sentence by which we declare that we shall be condemned and to engrave the sentence by which we know that we have been freed from this condemnation. Faith is the new sentence. It reverses the former sentence and gives peace and life to the heart. All right. And so now we get to recognize that we are reading a document that is almost 500 years old. And it talks about things like handwriting and blotting out handwriting. This is not uh, the way that most of us write today, unless you happen to be one of those folks who likes to use, say, maybe a fountain pen, and it tends to get a little bit blotchy if you're not careful, and you have to go ahead and do a little bit of blotting with a piece of paper or a napkin or... Or if you have a fountain pen, you probably have an actual blotter alongside with you, because that's how you can be really cool. It's really cool. (laughs) But whereas my fountain pen fits in my pocket, my blotter doesn't. Well, this is true, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, but then you get like a cool case for the blotter and it all looks fancy. Oh, I just need some more accessories. Yes. Yes. Marketing. Wonderful. (laughs) Well played. 
to, to your point of, well, I'll let you finish your okay. point. Okay, so as it talks here about the handwriting and the blotting, it is the putting down and the picking up. And so here we have that same kind of move of the law which condemns and the gospel which cleans it up. It, it is the law that marks you um, and shows how bad the mess is. It is the gospel that blots you and cleans you up and makes you presentable and, and legible, to use the metaphor. I know that there are books that talk about this topic of how technology changes our perception of the world and those kind of things. And I, I think that's a really good moment. I mean, if you're always on an iPad or a computer process or a word processor or something, you make a mistake, you hit delete. No problem. You do something that you're not supposed to do on accident, you know, like you hit the wrong key, you hit delete, you delete the document, you start over from scratch, no muss, no fuss, no problems, nothing. And then here we hear about, you know, this blotting, this writing, you're writing on a document that's however many feet long of scroll and you're going to have to write this perfectly. You make up a, you make a problem. It's a big problem and you're going to see this big problem. You know, That scroll and, is really expensive, right? The ink you're using is really expensive. I mean, yeah. And, and I think that people think about that in their own life. You know, they do something, they're like, well, I shouldn't have any consequences for this. It's not a problem. I said, I'm sorry. We'll go on now. It's no really problem. easy to make it go away. Yeah. I yeah. hit delete on the computer. It's the same thing here. You know, versus if you if your whole perception of the world is the messiness of that kind of work and the messiness of the ink and the spilled ink, then when you hear Christ is the one who makes you white again, you know, all of a sudden, oh, that's a big deal because that paper wouldn't get white any other way. It's going to be permanently messed up. And if God is perfect and he is uh, what the God, the epistle last weekend in God, there is no darkness. He is light, you know, and we walk in the light, man, he is the one who makes us clean. And it's, it wasn't just through a delete. It was through his son's death and resurrection. You know, pastor Ilya used the term metaphor. And that's what I was thinking as, as we started reading this section is, Ooh, we got a different metaphor here. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I think we need to be clear when we talk about metaphors in scripture, uh, our culture often tends to think to oversimplify a metaphor as something that actually isn't real. It's it's kind of another way of talking about something, but it's not actually real. No, when, when we talk about metaphors in scripture, it's actually accurately describing a real thing. There are just many ways in which this thing can be talked about. So we've got Paul talking about dead and then making alive. And now we have Paul also talking about the exact same thing as record of debt has been canceled blotting it out, blotting out those legal demands. And I think to your point, Merritt, is that, uh, Pastor Dembski, um, I didn't make a face just now. No, no. Just I, <laughs> so, so what I realized is I could never remember your last name. Then I remembered, oh, Pastor Ill had just said it. Okay, now I can call him by his actual name. That's actually what went in my head. I was like, there we go. Um, that's you just corrected yourself. I don't want people to think I looked no, at you like, what which, are you doing? Which is a good point. Yes, that's good. Um, like when they call me Layman Slayton, that's totally cool with me. I don't give looks on that either. Which, I haven't done that. We haven't done that this week. I guess the nickname's going to go away. Anyways, the point being... You talking about, you basically just said, look, this metaphor of, of writing and blotting out doesn't really work in our culture anymore. Ah, but scripture talks about our sin and what Christ has done for that sin in so many different ways that throughout history, different ones are going to speak to that culture differently because God has made sure that in his wisdom, we're, we're never going to actually miss 
the law or the gospel. There is something that will communicate to all of us. Now, there's there's wonderful richness in rediscovering how some of these metaphors that used to work maybe don't, and then rediscovering, oh, wow, yeah, when I think about it that way, that's really great. When we were talking in the previous section, the word metaphor is the one that I was trying to think of. I couldn't think to say Uh, about it, but when we're talking about being dead in our trespasses and sin, people go to the word metaphor and just say, oh, well, you're not really dead. That's just a metaphor. It's it's just a metaphor. It's like, well, it might be a a way of relaying it to us, but it's the truth. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are. Absolutely. And then we switched to this one about writing. And in all of these metaphors, all of these kind of verbal images and perspectives that we have, it is always us that are being acted upon. And so we aren't... Yeah, we are the one who is is messed up. The law has been spilled on us, if you will, like ink. And it is Christ who comes and blots and cleans up the ink. We are dead. Christ makes us alive. To use the light and dark metaphor that you used before, Pastor Dembski, we were in darkness, but now upon us has a great light. The light of Christ shone, and we are enlightened. Mm-hmm. And so in all of these metaphors, the Christian is passive. The Christian is a recipient of God's love, his mercy, and his grace. If you want a good uh, a book on this, Just Words by J.A.O. Uh-huh is a really good treatment. It goes through, I think, nine different metaphors that Scripture uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's not like a really intensive deep. It's it's just good, solid reading of, okay, here's each metaphor, and we'll give you 10, 15 pages on each one, and there you go. It's a great book. Some of them are on, like, sickness and health, and how yeah. the gospel is health, well, well, sinfulness is sickness. Dirty and washing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, baptism. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of good stuff there. That is an excellent resource. Yeah, great stuff. Um, and it's very readable. Don't think, uh, here here come the pastor nerds with their their pastor nerd books. Yeah, it was the layperson who recommended right, it. I'm not right. the pastor nerd. This is uh, very much a very easy-to-read book. Yeah. I have my note back that I handed you to reference that. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't actually happen. This no. is radio, Pasadensky. Well, they don't know. We That's get... why I had to joke with a verbal joke instead of just a... <laughs> we get to continue We're with off paragraph 49. Uh, what need is there to cite many testimonies, since they are everywhere clear in the scriptures? The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. From Psalm 118, verse 18. And again, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 119, 28. Here, contrition is contained in the first clause, and how we are revived in contrition is clearly described in the second. We are revived by God's word, which offers grace. This sustains and enlivens hearts. From 1 Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Shaol and raises up. Contrition is meant by one of these, faith is meant by the other. And finally, from Isaiah twenty-eight twenty-one, The Lord will be roused to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. He calls it the strange work of the Lord when he terrifies, because to make alive and comfort is God's own proper work. But he terrifies, Isaiah says, for this reason, that there may be a place for comfort and for making alive, for hearts that are secure and do not feel God's wrath hate consolation. 
I want to stop for a second because it started talking about how God's work is sometimes strange or proper or sometimes how it is alien or proper. Uh, the alien work here, for the record, is not uh, having anything to do with little green men. Uh, no Marvin the Martian uh, in God's alien Aww. work. So glad we brought our, our impressionist today. <laughs> but, this is a serious show. Let's get not anymore. We <laughs> when was we this a serious show? We referenced Monty Python halfway through. This isn't serious. <laughs> you know it, it, what you're saying here about uh, a well. Uh, again, I'll let you finish before let, I even let, I know where you're going. <laughs> let's start with God's alien work would be God's foreign work, not the work that God primarily is there to do. But God's alien work is to first bring the law to work that contrition in you so that he can bring his proper work, his rightful work of the forgiveness of sins, where he brings to you new life, grace, and mercy. Okay, well, um, Pastor Dembski. Uh, I was going to say, people so oftentimes talk about the God of the Old Testament being just the really angry, mean old God, you know, that kind of thing. And then you get Jesus, and he's loving and awesome, and New Testament's great, you know, forget the Old Testament stuff. Here's your New Testament, which I've never understood, because <laughs> how do you understand what's going on in the New Testament without Jesus the Old Testament? Jesus finally made God happy. Oh. Right, right, like that kind of thing. And yet, how is God described? The God of faithful, loving, mercy, steadfast love, right? God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Like that is his proper, his main work. And yet we are poor, miserable sinners, right? And he is patient with us. I, as last I checked, I was still breathing, right? Is and it, yet he is, he is merciful and he is gracious. Yeah. Is it helpful to look at the Garden of Eden before the fall as we're thinking about alien versus proper in that Look at God's relationship with man and how he worked with man at the beginning. That's his his proper work. And then because of the fall of man, his work changed. Now this alien work, this different work is there, not in the sense that, you know, God didn't know this from the start and plan this from before the foundations of the earth were laid, but just in the sense of remembering which is his proper work and which is his alien work. Is that at all helpful to say, well, look at the Garden of Eden and how Adam walked with God in the garden. That's proper. That's the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. After the fall, okay, things change because of our sin. That's alien. That's different. Mm -hmm. Does that work? Foreign. Foreign? Yeah. Foreign? Okay. Yeah. Does that work? It, it absolutely does. I think that's a really good way of, of describing it. So, and that, we're done. Oh, just it, kidding. No, not yet. Not yet. No, <laughs> don't go anywhere. Uh, let's go on and read uh, in paragraph 52 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 12a. In this manner, Scripture is accustomed to join these two, the terrors and the consolation. It does this to teach that there are these chief parts in repentance, contrition and faith that comforts and justifies. Neither do we see how the nature of repentance can be presented more clearly and simply. This is a case, I think, where we see that con contrition and faith go together and or repentance and faith go together uh and they lean on each other kind of like a I, I don't want to say a house of cards because that sounds flimsy but they they take balance and support from each other without contrition why do you need to believe in anything and without faith then contrition leads only to despair but when contrition leads to faith, then we see the true comfort of the gospel. And that is 
ultimately what this is all about, is to look to Christ on the cross for you. It's kind of a strange thing. We don't think that looking to Jesus on the cross is something that would bring any kind of a comfort, but that's exactly what it does because Jesus is on the cross to suffer for your sin and to take it away, to make you clean and perfect and holy. Okay, so your your hand motions that you were making put put in mind maybe a visual that will help with us of the contrition and faith coming together. Made me think of a, a Roman arch as it's being built. You've got the, the various stones gradually piling up on each other, and they're meeting at the top, and they meet at the top at a capstone. And when you place that capstone, now the pressure of that arch is all pressured onto the capstone, and you can now put weight on this whole thing. And so if you got contrition as one half of the arch, faith is the other and the capstone being Jesus. Does that work as a visual? We might have given our uh, studio mom her picture for this episode with that too. <laughs> we, we may indeed have done just that. Uh, and uh, so it'll be really interesting. And I think you did a great job for the record of being able to on the radio describe something visual. Well played. I, I tried. I don't. It doesn't always work. We'll we'll see if the listeners agree. But this is exactly where we talk about Jesus, who is the capstone or the cornerstone that holds everything together. Without Christ, contrition leads to despair. Without Christ, faith doesn't have an object and is pointless. But with Christ holding together that contrition and that faith. That is where we see the forgiveness of our sins, and it is where we are made righteous and holy. Well, and apart from this, uh, as I've heard one pastor made the point, there's a lot better stuff we could do with our Sunday. If Christ is not risen, if we are right with God, uh, just because we can make the best excuse possible, you know, when we do something wrong, then we got other things we could do. But in Christ, he is risen, and he is alive. He has one for us, that salvation. And when we hear God's law and we hear how miserably we fail, if we really think about it, not just, well, I can say the Ten Commandments and no, I don't have any other gods. It's like, mm, let's take a second and think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, And if we're being honest with ourselves, then it makes sense why everything revolves around Christ rather than just talking about how to have a better marriage, how to handle our money better, how to, you know, like all that kind of stuff. I mean, Sure, we have those discussions to be good stewards and all that kind of stuff, but the whole point and centerpiece of our life is knowing that there is true peace, that we are made right with God, that eternal life is taken care of. And it is Jesus Christ our Lord who says, My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. When we hear God's word of law, when it is spilled upon us like ink on a page, when it comes and we realize that we are dead in our sin, we look to Christ who makes us alive. It has been our pleasure to get to be with you today. Thank you for taking the time to tune in to Concord Matters. Uh, Concord Matters will return next week. Today, I am Pastor Peter Ill from Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. We have with us Pastor Merritt Dembski from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois, and Mr. Peter Slayton, the social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. As always, keep confessing, church.